Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good afternoon. I always, always mess up <laughs> the intro to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. You know you're on the right podcast because I've messed up the intro again. But as I was just saying to today's guest, Nick, I tend not to do any editing. It is what it is. We go out with imperfect action every time, starting small, as our friend uh, Ken Moggy says. And we just going to go with it with my messed up Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai introduction. As always, it wouldn't be the podcast if I got it right first time. People would think a clone had come in. But yes, as I mentioned, I'm so happy to have our guest today, Nick Kemp. And Nick is the founder of Ikigai Tribe. And I have been waiting for this call for so long. I think we first got in touch, I want to say like 2019, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I first emailed. And because I had come across Nick's work when I got interested in Ikigai towards like the end of 2018. And then I found this guy saying, this Venn diagram is an Ikigai. It's all nonsense. And I was like, tell me more about this, because I love an <laughs> iconoclast who, uh, you know, smashes down the beliefs. And Nick has a membership site as well as an amazing podcast that really looks at the Japanese perspective of Ikigai. If you haven't checked out Ikigai Tribe, make sure to go and subscribe straight away because Nick's take is very much focused on meeting with experts, people who are doing research and really um, interesting on the psychological perspective. Before we go into the main thing, I just want to apologize to everyone who is listening as well for Perhaps you can catch the amazing amount of construction work which is happening still outside my house. I was very excited the other day when they finished. And then I saw the house two doors down, decided that they would start to rip their house down as well. So it's all going on in the Stamachi. But currently Nick is living in Australia, in Melbourne, having exciting times in the pandemic with his wife and his son. But he lived in uh, Japan, in Tokyo, and also in Gifu, in his wife's hometown for a long time. So yeah, I want to welcome Nick. And as I mentioned, if you haven't already liked and subscribed to his podcast, you should definitely check that out if you're interested in Ikigai. So welcome. Thanks for being here today, Nick. Thank you very much for having me, Jennifer. And I do remember the, it's kind of, it actually marks all the, a sad chain of events when you first emailed because... I think I told you my wife lost two of her aunts and then we, we thought we'd go back the following year. And then of course the pandemic happened. And then we actually called my father-in-law last night and found out someone else is close to death. So my wife hasn't been able to go back to Japan since, I don't know, 2017 or 18. So oh, wow. yeah, it's been quite a ride for all of us, this whole pandemic, but as we'll discover today, having a sense of ikigai in your life can help you get through these things. But yeah, thank you very much for patiently waiting for me to get my life together so I could come onto your podcast. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And um, our mutual friend uh, Hasegawa Sensei has his idea of, you know, ikigai in the future. And so looking forward to this podcast happening <laughs> and finally being able to speak to you has been, you know, keeping me going oh, and uh, moving me forward. So it's really, really great to, to have you here. Thanks. So tell me a little bit then 
just to, to put in context your work with Ikigai. So how did you discover it? How did you realize that the Venn diagram wasn't all that it seemed? And then what kind of started this journey for you? So it actually started a long time ago. It started in 1998. I returned to Japan to teach English. So I was, I was in Japan in 1995 as a trainee chef. I stayed there for a year and then returned, I guess, two years later in 1998. I was And on the lunch break on my first day at work, I think I was showing off my Japanese and trying to be this young, cool Aussie guy. And this Japanese coworker said, oh, Nick, what's your ikigai? And I'm like, oh, what's that? And she, she gave this definition that intrigued me and just astounded me. And I was like, wow, you, you have a word that encapsulates the things you value, life purpose and, and the reason to battle on through life. And so I had this vivid memory of that day and I could take you where and when she said it. And the first thing I did was after lunch, I went to all my all the foreign teachers and said, hey, there's this word ikigai and it's amazing. And then the next day I wanted to talk to her about it more, but she'd been transferred. And then, you know, life got in the way and I kind of just forgot about it. But it it was one of those words I think I only needed to hear once to remember because when you're learning Japanese, you just forget all these new words you learn. And then, yeah, 20 years later, I see this Venn diagram. And at first, actually, I was, I was kind of inspired and thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's ikigai. I remember that word. But then I thought, after seeing it a few more times, I just thought, this doesn't make sense because Japanese would never define a word like that. They would never define it with mm. a framework. So I just thought, that's very un-Japanese. And then I thought, it just must be like a Western interpretation. And then... Yeah, I think Google's algorithm decided to keep showing it to me and <laughs> I thought someone should do something about this. Like someone needs to correct this. And then a little voice was saying, you should do it, Nick. But I was thinking, well, I don't know what it is. All I know, it's, it's not that Venn diagram and it, it has to be something broader and deeper. And then one day on the World Health Organization website, I saw it. And I thought, right, okay, <laughs> I'll do something about it. <laughs> yeah. So I thought Japan's, you know, given me so much and this is ridiculous. So I thought I'll start. My first thought was I'll buy a domain and see if I can start a podcast like you. And that's where it all began, really with no idea where it would lead me. Yeah, so, so many people on this podcast have been saying, you know, somebody should do that and then, that somebody ended up being me. So I feel like that for several of my guests, that's been the impetus to kind of move from a thought to action, mm. just looking around going, there's no one else seems to be solving this or no one else seems to care. But like, if it keeps coming back up, then maybe it's time, it's time for action. And so of course, everyone can go and, and listen to, to your podcast and really, really interesting guests. But for you throughout the process, right? through the process of doing this podcast, launching your membership site, doing all your writing, like what's been coming up for you around your Ikigai? What have you learned that's been new? Oh, what have I learned? I mean, I've learned so much. I think in the West, we have this tendency to try and define things and think, oh, okay, I get it now. It means this. But I've really learned that Ikigai and many other Japanese words, they do almost encapsulate a philosophy or a psychology 
And so I'm, I'm constantly learning all these things about Ikigai every time I have a guest on. So, you know, a whole, and it's just the way they phrase it. So like, yeah, Ken Moggy might phrase it as a spectrum of small things to life-defining goals. And then I'll have another guest, like a, a researcher who lives in the UK, Yasuhiro Kotira, and he describes it as intrinsic motivation and um, it's experiential. It's something you experience. And then, you know, reading the work of Kami Amiko, how it's something you feel, Ikigai Khan. So I guess researching, I've learned all these perspectives or Japanese perspectives, but for me, it really is about intimacy. And it is about your social world and your relationships. So that's what I think Ikigai is for me. And when I say intimacy, you know, something like this, we're having this intellectual intimacy. We're discussing Ikigai and we're we're having a a good conversation. We're feeling positive about it. You can have creative intimacy with others, experiential, intellectual, emotional, of course, physical. So, yeah, that's what it is for me personally. Yeah, I love that. And I love that your perspective, based on your your own experiences and all the different perspectives that you've had, just makes Ikigai into something which is expansive rather than this, you know, there's one point on on the Venn diagram. And I think that's Mm. what I find is so fascinating about the concept. And I love how many times you said, for me, for me, for me. And it's not like (laughs) that you are the big I, the big I am or anything like that, but it's an incredibly personal experience of ikigai that sort of doesn't come across in a lot of the English language communication around the topic so I really appreciate that you've you've raised that to make people think about it in a different way yeah thank you I mean it's it's a universal concept so I don't think it's you know only unique to Japan it's Mm. just Japan has this ability to encapsulate a very deep philosophical and psychological concept into one word where we would have to you know have an hour conversation to kind of describe it all <laughs> yeah but it is very personal and that that Venn diagram is inspiring and I guess sort of the unfortunate thing about that is the original creator um, Andres Zuzunaga who created it in Spanish gets no recognition for it and I think Japan or Japanese words have this mystique to them this mystique so if you put put a Japanese word on anything and it will probably become instantly popular so yeah it's like a blessing and a curse of it and I appreciate that you um you know naming our teachers it's a really important point to like have those sources and to name them and thank them for Mm. what they've allowed us to learn and how we've been able to apply that you know through through our own experiences and and maybe tell the story in a different way for a different audience yeah like all those these different voices which are involved there it's really really powerful even mark win who merged the two concepts i have immense gratitude for because it is because of him that it led to me resulting to you know to to research it and for him, it was just an idea, a simple idea to merge Ikigai with the Venn diagram after watching a TED talk. So it's astounding how the small actions of someone <laughs> can result in, I mean, literally he changed the world. He impacted millions of yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's amazing that he did it almost as an afterthought and just thought, oh, I'll write a blog post and I'll get my graphics guy to, to merge the two things and that'll be it. Took him less than, I think he said it was less than 45 minutes. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> like on the back of a napkin. So just uh, it's, it's a great reminder for everyone who's 
having any thoughts in the world to like get them out there and see what happens. Yeah. They might take shape. <laughs> they might influence someone's life. And oh yeah, like as a coach, I, I definitely, you know, use the Venn diagram. Like it's a really four great coaching questions along with other things. And I, I imagine in your, your coaching program as well, like you touch on it, we talk about like what's, what's useful, what's not, because they're, they're great questions. What do you love? What are you good at? What can you be paid for? And what does the world need? Those are definite questions to be able to answer and to think about if you want to think about how you want to live your life. It's just one perspective of Vicky guy. Yeah. And if I think about what I'm doing now, Mm. in a way, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing something I love. I wouldn't say that I'm good at it, but I've definitely learned a lot. (laughs) And in a way, it's something people need. Uh, Mm. And it, you know, I, I do have all these people from different parts of the world connecting with me and I'm, I'm fortunate to be paid for it. So there's this sort of irony. It's, it's not a key guy, but it's, it's, been, <laughs> it's become a model of my, my business. That's a, yeah. that I'm very grateful. Yeah. So it, and it, it can be someone's key guy. So that's another possibility and, and a way to think about it. I want to come back to your personal ikigai and this topic around intimacy in a few minutes, but just because you mentioned around like people around the world and how they've been connecting with you, what have you noticed in terms of like the quality or the texture of conversations maybe before and during, I'm hesitant to say after the pandemic around ikigai, what's been different for you? Well, it's interesting because it really didn't start until the pandemic resulted in me focusing on this business. So I, I had okay. a, a different business. Right. And then literally within a week, I got all my clients saying, we can't pay you anymore. And I thought, oh, well, I've started this Ikigai tribe thing. I'll, I'll take a gamble and I'll, I'll focus on it. And I was really committed to it. I actually sold, <laughs> I sold my favorite guitar to pay for rent. So I thought I'm not taking, I'm not going to spend the next two weeks trying to find a client to do SEO or web design. I thought I'll do this business and commit to it. Mm. So that's where it sort of began. But yeah, I mean, people weren't really talking about the pandemic because it was still early days, I guess. I mean, it really all started when a, a lady from Dubai sent me an email saying, hey, Nick, I want to be an Ikigai coach. Do you offer a program? And I'm thinking that's interesting no I don't um and so I wrote back saying well no I don't but you I guess you could do what I'm I'm doing and just research it and then a few months later I had a a, sort of a spate of just within a week about four people send me email saying do you offer a coaching program or I want to be a certified ikigai coach do you offer a program and I thought wow you know I've got all this marketing background. Clearly the, the market's saying there's a market for an Ikigai coach program. So that, that's how it started. And some of my podcast conversations have definitely touched on the pandemic. And there's one where I talked to, I guess, America's leading expert on Japanese psychology, um, Greg Creech. And he was talking about how we can future forecast and look back and think about how we've behaved during the pandemic. And so obviously it's stressful for all of us. And we've probably got friends who've reacted differently, friends who are upset and angry and they felt their um, individual rights have been violated. And then you've got friends who are helping others and 
and doing their best to lift the spirits of others, to use a phrase he said. So that's something we touched on. I think a lot of people have discovered it's, it is their relationships that matter the most. And at, at the end of the day, everyone's talking about, I, I can't wait to see so-and-so. I can't wait to hug my grandchildren for the first time. I can't wait yeah. to see my sister or my brother. Or travel. Travel's really important for people. So that's, that's popped up a lot. But definitely the social world and the importance of relationships have been the focus of conversation in, in relation to, I guess, Ikigai and how, it's, how the pandemic's impacted people's desire to find meaning in life and what are the most important things to them. It, it's their relationships. Right, which is a nice segue into uh, talking. <laughs> well done. You, you should be a podcast host, Nick. <laughs> I'll give it a go. Yeah. So thinking about for your, your personal journey and sort of intimacy as Ikigai, can you explain a little bit more about how that shows up in terms of actions and behaviours each day? Sure. I have this idea that Ikigai is something you feel from my research rather than something you achieve or chase. And so for me, it is stealing a hug from a son or um, one thing we do now, we almost play like brothers. We have this soft toy bird and we'll throw it throughout the house playing catch as hard as we can to the shock and horror of my wife who thinks we're going to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there's that that's a really that's one of my ikigai sources is playing with my son like that and it generates all these feelings of fun and and connection and again it's this sort of playful intimacy then there are things I do for my routine so I play guitar so almost every day I'll just pick up the guitar and if I come up with a, a riff I like I'll just put that on my iPhone memo and sort of have the intention one day to turn it into a song. But when I do that, I just feel, I feel my life is moving forward and I feel, ah, I've expressed myself and I feel good. I just feel great. And then I can move on to, you know, having my coffee or exercising. So it's all these small things that I'm I'm really doing by myself. So just something. <laughs> for those who are listening to the podcast, a, a picture has fallen off the wall, which maybe we can talk about. We can talk about that in a moment. Uh, maybe I'm talking too much. I don't no, know. no. So I do, um, actually, I'm going to break it because I do a form of coaching called ORSC, right? Organizational Relationship Systems Coaching. We talk about like different channels and different voices in the room. And so the picture falling off the wall and like drawing our attention away is, is something to either say that, you know, what you said was really important. And, and this is like a picture I did of uh, a galaxy. So maybe we're connecting to our galaxy brain or we're, we're definitely, uh, there was something you said about like these small moments, right? It's about the, the speck of humanity. Um, I might be stretching this too far, but uh, what we can make this picture falling off the wall, or it just needs some more blue tack. Um, or it's, I think it's about that's obviously creative expression for you. Mm. That's that painting. Yeah. For me, it's playing guitar. And so it doesn't matter if someone sees your painting or hears my song. If they do and they like it, great. But it's just a way for us to express ourselves. 
And that's something um, Kami Amirko, like mm. someone I like to call the mother of Higa, touches yeah. on, that the joy of creation. It's, it's creating something new and unique and that can become an, an emblem of who you are. And it mm. doesn't really matter if someone sees that or not, just as long as you express, express yourself uniquely with your imagination. So that's a really fascinating aspect of her work. Yeah. And that idea of just surrendering to the process without anything connected to the outcome. Mm. Right. So exactly. here we are, we're recording this podcast. Will anyone <laughs> listen to it? Doesn't actually matter. Right. It's more about this moment, having this conversation like that when you described the feeling of and I can imagine you like throwing that ball around <laughs> with your son, like my heart softened. Like that's a beautiful moment of Ikigai that, you know, you're you're retelling your story. But through that, it's giving me that that feeling of connection and it's giving me that like the wonder of being a parent and what it brings to like the richness to your life as well. Mm. So I'm getting a bit emotional, like just uh, <laughs> being so. about this, but, and that, that for me, like that's how my guy shows up in those ways too. Like having those realizations. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, the moment. thing is he, yeah, I mean, he's, he's almost 18. So it's not like he's 10. It's, <gasps> so it's even better. Oh, like, that's even more wonderful. Yeah. 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 So he's, he's still willing to do that. And I love it. And so we do it every day, actually. We've been doing it every day for the last couple of weeks. So it's become like a routine, this sort of random routine. That makes it even more magical that, you know, he's a young man. Not because, of course, you know, I'm I'm putting my story of my eight-year-old, right? (laughs) But I can fully imagine like us us doing that. But 18, yeah, that you both still have this like boyish yeah. boyish energy <laughs> and as you said like your wife's going come on your prefrontal cortex should already be fully <laughs> fully grown what's going on mm. but I, I know I love it I love it and I love that yeah capturing that music with no intentions no judgment really beautiful it is fun and it removes this stress of having to achieve something or you just do it for yourself and yes. you can share it if you want yeah, uh, you mentioned that you spoke with Dr. Cotera, and of course, like in the Ikigai Nine, there's those interesting discussions about, you know, having impact on someone. And, and this is maybe the, not that part of the Ikigai Nine, what you're talking about right now in terms of just feeling like interested in lots of things and wanting to learn. Like that yeah. part of Ikigai, I think, is also really fascinating in, in their questions and their experience. So we've already touched a little on that. And I feel like what you've talked around with with other types of intimacy and how it's a state of being, like what's been what's been different for you now you've sort of got this awareness around Ikigai as intimacy? I think if what I've discovered with my coaching groups is if you can create trust and if you can be the first one to be authentic and just say, right, I'm just going to be myself. It's amazing how quickly people will respond in kind. And that's sort of one of the most enjoyable aspects of my my coaching is that the cohorts seem to connect quickly. By the second call, everyone's sharing. So I, I think 
what I've learned from Ikigai and this, this idea of social intimacy is if you can be self-authentic, it allows others to do so. And then you get into these deep and meaningful conversations and, you know, you end up <laughs> crying tears of joy or, you know, sharing a, a happy or a painful memory. But there's this trust that allows people to do that. And, yeah, it's amazing. There's no hints that anyone's judging you or anyone's holding back. They're all willing to share and also recognise other people's contribution. And so it allows us to really share ourselves and, and not, not be afraid of, of, afraid of judgment or um, worried how we're going to sound. So that states, yeah, in two words, self-authenticity is what I've learned from Ikigai. Yeah. And if there's someone who is listening now and thinking, that sounds good, what's the first step that I can do to be more self-authentic? Or perhaps, you know, what gets in the way? Do you have any words of wisdom or advice for this person listening? Yeah, so I think that the Western frameworks made Ikigai this goal to achieve. And it could be a, a meaningful, positive goal, but it's made something that's quite casual and natural to the Japanese become a fairly hard goal to achieve. So I would not relate Ikigai to something you achieve. It's not an end destination. Yeah. I think you can relate it to people or activities that already matter to you or to people who already mean to you. And if you're struggling to find an Ikigai source, so when I say source, it's can be a relationship it can be you know it can be a hobby it can be even a memory or it can be an aspect of your work but if you're finding if you're struggling to find one my advice would be to think of someone you care about and do something for them because people are probably your most important icky guy so that's what i'd recommend and i'm sure yeah. everyone listening has someone they care about yeah what a great call to action. Just go and do <laughs> random, random or in fact, not so random act of kindness to, mm. to reach out to someone to, yeah, no, do a, do a kind thing, make someone a cup of tea if you're living with them. No, what, what kind of things I could do to my family today? Making me, one, well, actually, one me a thing challenge. I recommend, yeah, <laughs> one thing I recommended uh, a few people in my cohorts was ring an old friend or try and get into contact with an old friend you haven't had any contact with for 10 years or 20 mm. years and it won't always work but when it does it brings back all these emotions and feelings of all the good times you had and then you discover you know that their last 10 15 years and what they're doing and it can be yeah quite a meaningful and sort of this this positive experience to, to reconnect with someone so that's another thing you could do yeah Oh, I love that. Recently, I got back in touch with my junior high school art teacher. There you go. So I contacted, yeah, I contacted, you know, the old girls association and said, uh, Mrs. Nelson, can you put me in touch with her? I've just written this children's book. And then she keeps coming up in like my mind of, you know, yeah, like ikigai feelings that I had in the past. And when I was like most in flow and just really how much art meant to me at that time and now it's kind of increasingly coming back and it was so lovely to be able to email her and say hey Mrs Nelson I still can't use her first name <laughs> she's like writing hi it's I won't say her first name to protect her privacy but um yeah it was it was really great to be able to say 
And I got the sense that when she read the email back to say like, wow, I made a difference in someone's life and they're contacting me 25 years later. Like that's a life well lived, right? That's mm. a, um, like thinking of, you know, Ikigai and the worth of living as an educator. I, I probably imagine that's like the emails and the letters that you always want to have or to know yeah, that no, you that made a difference, a, right? Yeah, absolutely. That would have been a confirmation that she had this positive impact on you and you're still thinking about it. Yeah. You know, all these years later. Yeah. So um, I often talk with my guests as well about sometimes like the dark side of Ikigai. So we've had people <laughs> talking about like, you know, they get kind of obsessed, they start to burn out, they maybe don't make space for other things in their life. So anything which you've come across that makes you think of the, the dark side of Ikigai? Well, actually, there can be dark sides to Ikigai, almost to the extreme where someone's Ikigai actually can become power. So think of the power manager who, who commands sort of fear and respect. And because people respond to that in the workplace because they're afraid of him or her, it validates their role and they get a sense of sort of ikigai from it, thinking, ah, oh, people do respect me. They do respond to me. And they really mm-hmm. like yeah. that role. But what they're doing is they're sort of destroying the lives of others or, or at least making it very hard for other people to, to enjoy life. So that's one thing. Another thing is you can make your social roles or one of your social roles your your only source of ikigai. And so a good example of that is work where Mm. you are working at the sacrifice or to to the point where you're sacrificing your most important relationships. And then you probably then argue, but hang on, you know, I'm working for my family or I'm working so my family have all these freedoms. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. That happens in Japan a lot, as you Mm. know. There's even a book they might want to read. Right. So it, it says, Shigoto nanka ikigai ni suruna, meaning don't make your job your ikigai. Mm. And so this author is basically saying, <laughs> be careful not to make work your, your only source of ikigai, which has happened, I think, in Japan for the last, since I guess from the 70s onwards. Right. So I think we, we need to frame ikigai as it's, it's your life. Whereas it's not not just your work, and I mean the, the probably the real tragedy is a lot of people don't have ikigai. Mm. They don't feel they have something to live for. They don't, especially in Japan too. So yeah. this sort of romantic idea that you know all Japanese have ikigai and they can immediately identify it—that's just not true, unfortunately. Even some of my friends just say, "Oh, I don't really have one." Um, mm. So yeah, I guess either not having it or sacrificing your most important relationships because you you value work more than family or you maybe you don't believe that but that's what you end up doing yeah, yeah. or, or what the commitment want... ends up being oh there's so much i we want to dig, dig into from yeah. this so let me go back to the first the first point you raised about like the power right so mm. That's a really interesting perspective very new to me and um, so i'm just trying to process and think as you were saying it I was thinking yeah no I can see how that shows up so you get a certain response to a certain type of behavior that response reminds you that you are alive that you are ikiteru because you're having Mm. impact on people and I think that's really useful to remind everyone who's listening that yeah ikigai isn't all like love and light it's just Mm. being alive and so you can be alive having impact on someone in in many different ways 
So, of course, we get to choose what that is, but there's something quite intoxicating, isn't there, about, like, creating a response in someone. It can even be worse because you could even make hate or vengeance, your Mm. eye. So let's say you you feel violated and someone's wronged you in some way and you make it right. I'm going to make you pay for what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that be- that becomes your icky guy. And then you think, right, this is meaningful. You did something yeah. bad to me. I'm going to get you back. And then you you go about your life, you know, seeking revenge. Yes. And okay. it is a source of icky guy. It's just not a, a positive source. So there is. Count of Monte Cristo, Les Miserables, yeah. Billions, <laughs> So um, the princess bride which we've talked about on this podcast before oh, with really? robin lewis yeah. like what happens that's when a good you... movie yeah yeah that's a good movie. it's like that's that was his icky guy right and mm. then oh hang on yeah hang so on. it's interesting you sort of as you learn more about it you think wow i, I never considered that it, there could be these icky guys that aren't positive and mm. uh, aren't healthy yeah um they're still there in the uh, in the icky guy framework because they give you a reason a reason to live like to mm. keep up with the joneses as well right to fulfill certain social roles that's like the the expectation that we have and then i i love what you've said because this is something i'm really passionate about of having you know multiple icky guys or sources of icky guy which are not stuck with one role especially because our lives are so seasonal right mm. so yeah, if you had your ikigai was, um, you know, being father to a 10-year-old, then, like, <laughs> how does that change when the shift is, right? Your, your role as a father has, has changed as your son gets ready to go out into the world. Mm. But the same, so someone asked me this, you know, so talking about the pandemic, and I was in a conversation with a fellow entrepreneur, and she's like, yeah, it's really made me stop and go, who am I without my work? Like, I'm so tied up. My identity, yeah. my, you know, reason for being, for being alive is so tied up to me as a, as an entrepreneur, as the primary breadwinner, or as this kind of builder of businesses, those titles, those identities are so connected. And so now that's all been taken away from me. Who am I? Why am I here? Scary stuff. Exactly. So that's, I mean, that highlights, I guess, the importance of multiple roles, mm. but also having the ability, this is really Ken Moggy, I'm sort of paraphrasing yeah. here, is to disengage from all your social roles and almost reconnect with your inner child and just be free. And it kind of goes back to that playful nature or that creative nature. So maybe for you, it's it's, it's painting or um, just doing these things that make you feel, you know, human or happy and then yeah we do have roles but you you'll be a we have we'll probably have five or eight roles like we're a son or a daughter we're a brother or sister we we could be a parent we're friends we have our work related role and even in the context of your friends you could be the you know the fun guy or the organized girl or the whoever but within your circle of friends, you all kind of have this role that's not really, um, you can't really put a name to it. And having a good spread and, and realising they're all important and not, not sacrificing uh, most of them for one is, is where I think you find a balance. It's um, bringing up, um, I'm currently studying ORS because I mentioned and pictures <laughs> fall off the wall and so on. And one of those other <laughs> things is about 
the different roles that we play and talking about them in strata. So there's, you know, the title roles that you've talked about. Then there's these kind of emotional roles, like being the organizer or being the fun guy, like these, these emotional roles. And then there's um, secret selves, which, and then below that is kind of ghost roles, which might be like existing in the system. But one thing which is very interesting, it kind of brings to this ikigai roles or sources of ikigai is when you get like role fatigue and you're like you know what I want to be the fun guy anymore why do I Mm. always have to be the fun guy and that kind of you know the shift or um, when those roles maybe aren't acknowledged and um, people don't necessarily realize like the emotional labor it takes to always be the person who brings lightness for example when you don't want to have to do that so but the point you raised about uh, monkey sensei, maybe you can um, shed some light on this for me, because I've always found that pillar, which is like release yourself, right, to be the most elusive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Thank you for <laughs> helping me. I can't even release myself from the language. Uh, elusive to yeah to work on. So what's what's your take on what does releasing yourself mean, or how have you released yourself? Yeah. So this is one of my questions to Ken and I I felt, wow, Ken, you're such a, on Twitter, on YouTube, you're constantly sharing, you know, gold nuggets of wisdom. You look very happy and it looks like you've fully released yourself. And my question was that hard to do. And what I was asking, I guess, is you're fully accepted who you are. And he responds saying, yeah, look at me. I, I look like this, you know, kind of a, a teddy bear. I've got fuzzy hair. I'm small. You know, I'm not handsome, but once he fully accepted himself years ago, it just opened up his world to all these possibilities and he didn't have to really concern himself about how he looked or how he sounded or he could just focus on what he cared about. So I think releasing yourself is just deciding I'm going to accept who I am. I'm not going to try and be someone else and I'll just get on with what I care about. And it's it's almost simple. It's like, we, we just overcomplicate um, yeah. who we think we should be. Obviously, with all this pressure on you know, social media and advertising, we, we should look attractive. We should be, you know, we should be thin rather than, you know, healthy and fit or we should have a certain amount of wealth or material goods. So I think it's this idea of being very comfortable with who you are and then expressing that. And then it, it opens your world up to all these possibilities. Yeah. And yes. it's, it's happened to me. So yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how nervous I was with my, my first cohort. But then I just thought I'd just, just do it. And I think one of the best compliments I got from one of my cohort members was, Nick, I really liked program because you were authentic. Mm. And it really made sense. It's like, oh, wow, if I, if I just be myself, that, that works. Um, if you try to pretend to be someone else, you, you won't be able to keep that up and no. you'll, you'll run into problems. Yeah. yeah the so hopefully that like... answers your question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. It's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. That idea of just live your life. And um, I'm working with a coach at the moment, Jim Fortin, and uh, he talks about, you know, like you're going to get judged just accept that like judgment is going to happen. I think we talked about this when we we had our, our pre-call kind of coming to my mind, but uh, yeah. And some people will like what you do and other people won't like what you do. So just live your life. Just do it. Yeah. Just do but it. on that, I mean, yeah, it's bizarre. You you think, well, I'm, I'm like you, I'm doing a podcast, I'm sharing all this content and then I'll have people on LinkedIn just abuse me, just 
saying, oh, you shouldn't be keeping all this content secret. And, and just if that person just said, hey, Nick, I'm really interested. Can you, you know, can you share more? I'd help that person. So it is bizarre. People will <laughs> either judge you, abuse you, attack you. And I always use humour. I'll, yeah. I'll quote what they say and, and put their name to it and sort of send it back and <laughs> yeah. usually and confuses right. you kiss them. your mother with that mouth. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's funny. People will judge you. And that's, I think that's the secret is not to be concerned with others. Mm. Just do what you want to do. And then when you do concern yourself with others, it's about the people you care about and helping them and, and not worrying about the people who, who you don't even know who seem to have yeah. a problem with you. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, the, I think the challenge for anyone who's, who's a guy kind of, you know, if it ends up with you being in the public eye, actually so many of my guests have talked about that, like the judgments that they've had, the haters, not that they've mm. not called them haters, but as I have done, just... I remember one like Jess Garrity, uh, she talks about Kudo and she decided that she would try, I can never remember the, the name for it, but um, the Kudo, which is like the archery on horseback, oh. the sports version, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember anyway. And she got like so much pushback from people saying, how can you start this other thing when you haven't mastered this yet? And she's like, well, mastery isn't my goal. Um, and if it is for you, great. You know, yeah, you go and live your life. But why are you bringing this to me? It's, it's funny, really isn't that? Once yeah. you do have some social profile, if you go and do something else, it's like people have these rules about what you can and can't do. It's like, where, where do these rules come from? Like, I'm just exploring something I, I'm interested in. And yeah. how does that become a problem for you? Um, is it Yabusame? <laughs> yes, that sounds right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I remember <laughs> Tim, Tim Ferriss did that. Ah, um, right. He go. had a... He did look, he was attempting to do a, a like a documentary series years ago. Like this is more than 10 years ago. And that was the first episode. And it was amazing, but it didn't take off. And then he did another, I think he did another series. And he he did all these challenges, how to learn how to drum within five days and speak Filipino in five days. But yeah, yeah, but some it would be. That's quite a challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very dangerous. Please check out Jess's uh, <laughs> Jess's video in the links below. It's very cool. Um, and watch it and follow her on Instagram. It's really, it was really interesting. He's a big Japan lover as well, isn't he? Oh he yeah, for a yeah, while. He's, yeah, he loves it. Mm. But has obviously hasn't visited for a bit. Uh, what I want to ask you is the most important question, which is, what is the question that I should have asked you that I haven't mm. asked you yet? I guess that would be, do we really find Ikigai or do we feel it? Mm. And my answer would be, we feel it. Yeah. yeah. So we, we feel it, you know, when you hug someone you love or when you're pursuing a hobby that excites you or when you call, call an old friend or when you discover a new word. Like I, all these, I discovered so many new Japanese words that are similar to Ikigai and they represent another philosophy or another psychology like I don't know if you know utori this this yeah. idea of space and how it's applicable to not just you know your mental your spiritual your physical your your financial so it's like another world to dive into so yeah having a love of learning so it but it's the feeling from doing these things it's the feeling of zest and yes and great word 
that's that's available to everyone and then there's no pressure to achieve anything it's it's just doing things that are meaningful to you Mm. i love it that's it yeah, and I, th- I think you've I think you've 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 uh, triggered uh, what my memory was that I was saying, uh-huh. thinking of how important it is to yeah not be in a box to experiment to be expansive just do the things which make you feel alive and uh-huh. give you a reason to show up again tomorrow, um, to show up this afternoon. You know, for me that's the <laughs> that's the biggest the biggest essence of of ikigai is like I'm not done. No, I'm not done here. No. So, um, and and to to have that and to find it, and as as you said, um, there's a view that you know all Japanese people can easily tap into that. But when we look at the the Google search, the in Japanese, the most kind of uh, searched, what do you call it? You you do SEO, so you know it. Like the two words together um, um, yeah. is ikigai nai. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is is uh, is very is very sad, uh, but not altogether unexpected. Um, so I think just having having this openness to feel it and to have these small things is a really amazing takeaway to have from our conversation today. So I feel like I know I'm not going to get there because it's not a place to be. It's not a destination, but I feel <laughs> right I'm on there. the right track. If I can use this metaphor mm. that I feel very connected with many of the things in my day. Mm. So I want to give you your closing comments, Nick, any final messages that you have for listeners of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. The floor is yours, sir. Oh, well, um, not really. Just uh, it's been a joy to share all this and learn from you too. And I think it's just care about something, care about something bigger than yourself and, and share it with others and then life will be good. So that's, that's what I'd say. Yeah. What a wonderful <laughs> message to end on. So, and remember everyone, we have our homework, our call to action is to do something kind for someone we love or to reach out to an old friend. Um, so make sure you commit to that after this call. Well, thank you so much, Nick. I will continue to be subscribing to your podcast and listening in. And I look forward to the next time our paths cross. So do I, hopefully in person. So yes. I should be there next year. So let's that would be fabulous. dinner. Yes, let's do it. All right. Thank you so Thanks, much. Mate. And thank you to everyone for listening today. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.